Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Which, by the way, is all the time. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but he was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. And in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. And though, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to everyone who obeys him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Lord, I would ask that you would take your perfect word given long ago but speaking today. And even in some of the difficulties of the things that we look at this morning that are hard to grasp and hard to know what to do with, and yet um, they're invitations to knowing you more. And I would ask that our only reliable teacher, the Holy Spirit, would make himself known through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I promised an insert this week that was going to list all these things about the Trinity. You don't have it. It's it's like four pages long at the moment, so that's not going to work. You'll have it next week, perhaps. Um, We're kind of, in a sense, wrapping up this this series today um, on being gathered into the Trinity, which has really been kind of a a deepening look at the nature of worship, and we've been trying to take some layers here to go a little deeper. Um, next week, um, Brian and I are getting together actually tomorrow, and we're going to um, begin to put together a service for next week, and my, my hope is that we will um, have something special next week where we actually put into practice through the whole service revelation and response, where our responses can be prayers, songs, things to write, um, just really want to enter into that practice of, of doing that um, very intentionally next week. So I encourage you to come, be here. Um, I think that's going to be a great capstone to what we've been looking at. In this uh, series that we started in the middle of August, we've looked at a number of these, these incredible great worship scenes from Scripture. We looked at Revelation 4 and 5. We were in Isaiah 6. 
Um, even the garden we talked about as being this perfect scene of worship. And we've seen God's invitation um, to enter into both our everyday worship and all the things that we do, as well as our corporate gathered worship, to enter into those places. We looked at the rhythm of worship where God always initiates first by revealing himself, and then if we pay attention to that and listen to that, the Holy Spirit elicits a response from us. Interesting that the scenes that we looked at um, I know we read, we heard Revelation 4 and 5 read. It's perfect worship, isn't it? It's just, it's perfect. It's like, that's what it's about. And yet we as people, with all of our frailty and our distractions and however we even, even our gathered worship, the way we just get here sometimes, we aren't able to offer that up because we're not, we're not perfect people. Um, but what I think we'll see this morning um, through his word that through the spirit and through Jesus our high priest, he actually takes all of our offerings, no matter how they come out, um, and perfects them and actually brings them up and places them in the heavenly places so that what happens in Revelation 4 and 5 actually happens in our midst. Last week we did a brief survey of the Trinity. Um, and most important for us in this series that the Trinity we look at operates in perfect relationship amongst itself, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, glorifying each other, honoring each other, communicating. There's this relational aspect, which is at the very heart of God. Um, it's constant within the triune God. And true worship is when through the Spirit, we've talked about this, we participate in the Son's communion with the Father. Um, so the things we do in worship are really offerings, true worship happens when we are invited into the midst of this triune relationship because of the Holy Spirit dwelling with us. And we actually, in some sense, we've been trying to get to participate in what's happening between the triune God. We get welcomed into that place. So the question comes, because that's like, what? You know, um, how can that be? How do we do that? I think we'll see that the truth of God's word is that it is already happening, whether we've paid attention to it or not, um, through Jesus, through our high priest. So today I'm going to take a, a brief look primarily at Hebrews, in particular one verse. So I'm going to bounce around. I'm not going to read some of the sections, but I'm not going to refer to them a lot. I'm just going to give them the background. And then um, I'm going to be jabbering a bit this morning. Um, in particular one verse to see what it means that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity as our high priest. And I'll just say up front, um, we're, we're trying to deepen our understanding of what God's word teaches us. And sometimes when we step into something, some of the things um, may sound a little new. Um, and so it begins with a, an academic exercise that God teach us to understand, what are you saying here? Um, of course, if it just stays here, it doesn't do anything, Right? It's got to move into our heart where we begin to believe it and we enter into it, and then it gets reflected in our actions. This morning, it may all be here, okay? And that's okay. As we begin to ponder on it and work on it and pursue it and practice it, God will begin to work into it in his heart. And this, this thing of being gathered into the Trinity, I think we'll begin to see it, experience what it's like um, as God takes it from what we try to grasp and begin to bring it into our hearts, and into our actions. 
So just a few things um, about Jesus, the second person of Trinity. What does it mean that he's our high priest? The first thing to remember, and I think we all know this, is we have a need for a high priest. We have a need for a high priest. We looked in the very beginning. We saw Adam and Eve in the garden, and that we said if, if somebody would say to them, when do you worship, they would say, we don't know what you're talking about because everything we do is worship. That's, that's all. It's, it's, life is worship. And they had this, this beautiful picture of absolute unhindered communion between Adam and Eve and God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that existed there in that garden, this temple of the garden. But when rebellion happened, we looked at the fact that that was severed, that was torn apart. Um, and it was grievous to Adam and Eve who, who's, who were anguished over what was lost. It grieved the heart of God because of what he lost as well. And God was intent on restoring us back to that place. It's basically the, story, the, the grand story of the Bible is God seeking to restore that again and to bring us back into that place. We, we called it the liturgical problem. How can a holy God that we're supposed to worship, how can we enter into his presence and actually do that? And because of sin, the answer is we can't. And so there's this great problem that we can't solve. But God moves ahead to solve it, and he takes a long time, but that's his ways. And so all through the Old Testament, we see how God began to show how he was going to solve that problem. And we get a shadow, we get pieces of it. And so God's out here, and we're here because of separation. And so God goes, I want to be in their midst. I want to be with them. And so he begins to show up in, in different ways to make a space in which he can dwell among sinful people. So even with Abraham, um, who when he, God reveals himself to him, Abraham builds an altar a way to bring God's presence into that place as God opens that. The patriarchs did the same thing. Primarily, though, it was in the, um, the tabernacle, in the temple. And we looked at the fact that God designates them to make this holy of holies, this little space, 15 feet by 15 feet. And God says, I can dwell there. And it's protected by a curtain. Nobody can get near it. And I'm going to come, and I'm going to dwell in their midst. There's still all this separation, but at least I'm getting my foot there in the door. It's a step. But there still needs to be something that happens between God and people. There's, now someone needs to help bridge the gap between that place and the people outside. And so God designates a high priest who would, um, on behalf of the people, come before God, in whom God could speak to to the people as he moves in and out of that place. And you can read all the details about that. A lot of them are in Leviticus. If you love it, read it. Um, Leviticus 16 lays out a great deal about actually the Day of Atonement. So I want to talk about, just to kind of give a picture of what the high priest does because it tells us what Jesus is like, what he did on the Day of Atonement. So the high priest and the Day of Atonement. To understand Jesus' high priest, we need to briefly recall the high priest in the Old Testament, specifically what happened on the Day of Atonement, because it is a, a shadow of the high priestly ministry of Jesus. It gives us a glimpse at it. For Israel, the central act of worship each year was bound up in this once-a-year Day of Atonement. And it was on that day in a sense that all the other festivals, all the other worship that happened, which was imperfect, by the way, was all gathered up in a sense and brought before God on the Day of Atonement and perfected and had impact for the people. The high priest who was divinely appointed 
um, represented the nation or all the people. He had to be a man like them in order to represent them. He stood on as one on behalf of the many. Basically, he's the leader of their worship on their behalf. Everything he did, he does in the name of their people, of his people, and in their stead. As a matter of fact, it, it designates his, his breast, and you know, they wore his great garments, you know. Whatever happened to those days, but anyways. The, had these, this garment with his breastplate and the shoulders, and on it were these gemstones that all represented the 12 tribes. So when he went before God, it was like he was taking the nation before God. And he would first, and David told me he would consecrate himself, he would offer himself, be sanctified. He would do all these separate, special washings. And then he would, in, in the presence of people, offer up a sacrifice for his own self because he was a sinner. He couldn't go before God because there was sin there. So God says, do a sacrifice for yourself. And then he would take some of the blood of the sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on a part of his body that would, would, would make him ready to come before God. And then he would offer sacrifice for the nation. Actually, he would take a hold of the animal and he would begin to confess the sins of the nation from that year as he held on to the animal. And then he would, would sacrifice the animal and they would take a bowl of blood and then, and only then, he would, he would enter into the Holy of Holies and he'd sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and he would make intercession for the people before God in this, this special place where the presence of God dwelt. After that, uh, uh, you can read about a scapegoat, which is the lucky goat, um, gets sent out into the wilderness. It was a kind of a picture that their, their guilt was taken away for that year alone. And then when it was all done, the high priest would come out, where all the people were waiting, and he'd pronounce a blessing. He'd pronounce God's blessing on the people um, for that year. And then guess what? A year later, he'd do it all over again. All over again. Year by year by year by year. Because the separation still remained. Several places, but particularly the book of Hebrews then, goes on to show how Jesus had to come as our high priest to fulfill once for all what all the high priests before could not do on our behalf. And so Hebrews, in many ways, is, is a, I think it's a book about congregational worship. And it, it unpacks for us how Jesus is so much superior to all the things that happened. As a matter of fact, Jesus is, the other things were just a, 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 an arrow saying, this one's coming, and it's just going to explode your mind when you see what he does. So um, he comes to be the true eternal priest, and he comes in solidarity with us as a man. Let me read from Hebrews 7. I'm going to read verse 25 through chapter 8, verse 5. Beginning with Hebrews 7:25. It was fitting, talking about Jesus, that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Already that's very different than all the other high priests. He does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who is made perfect forever, chapter 8. Now the main point in what has been said is this, we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty 
in the heavens. By the way, in the heavens, that is where the Holy of Holies exists today. That is the place. He resides in that place, and it can reside actually within us. He's a minister in the sanctuary and a minister in the true tabernacle, which the Lord himself pitched and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Hence it is necessary that this high priest also has something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a high priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, see to it that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. So how is Jesus as high priest? By the way, we don't talk about having a high priest, do we? It seems kind of foreign to the evangelical church. We think, can you just come before God? Yes, the scriptures say we get to come boldly before God. Can we come without a priest? The answer is no, we can't. You can't come outside of the high priest of Jesus who comes on our behalf and comes with us. So how is Jesus, our high priest, unique or superior? One, he was sinless, so he didn't have to offer up sacrifices for himself, but instead he could offer himself as the perfect sacrifices. Even the, even the animals he offered were not perfect, but Jesus, as God himself, who offers up himself, offers up a perfect sacrifice, and so he's able to take care of for all time. His sacrifice of himself was once for all. It doesn't need to be repeated done. There's, sacrifices are not going on in heaven these days. It was all completed long ago. Jesus was appointed by a divine oath as a perfect son, and the offering in the end was not made in an earthly of holy of holies, which is just a shadow of the real thing, but was presented in the very real presence of our Father in heaven. And then get this, his ministry says he's eternal priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was this kind of unusual guy that shows up with Abraham who has, apparently has no genealogy as a representative of the priest that lives forever. And Jesus' ministry is forever. That means Jesus' high priestly ministry is going on at this moment as we're gathered. Jesus is functioning as our high priest today as we gather here this time. The great and overarching point of this text at the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8 is that we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who came into the world as the Son of God, lived a sinless life, offered himself as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the people. He rose to everlasting life at the right hand of the majesty of God and there loves us and prays for us and bids us draw near. And he's still doing that today. Interesting, I'd like to read something. It's, we often think that um, God kind of came up with this whole priestly thing and sacrifices as kind of like, he's got to come up with something, right? So he comes up with it, and then Jesus comes along to, to take care of it. But that's not actually what Hebrews 8 tells us. Um, he didn't come into this fit, this old system. Rather, he came um, to show the full picture of it that we'd never seen before and to fulfill it. Let me read this uh, from one guy who kind of explains this. Listen to this. He is the reality. It's Jesus. They, those things before the other high priests, were a shadow and a copy of the reality. When the reality comes, the shadow passes away. The last words of Hebrews 5 says, See to it 
that you make all things according to the pattern which is shown you on the mount. Why is God so specific about Moses? Don't make a mistake in how you make it. Here's exactly how I want it. The quote is taken from Exodus 25:40. God is speaking to Moses, and the point that this writer draws out is that the furnishings and the actions of the Old Testament tabernacle were copies and shadows of what? What was already in heaven. The, the holy of holies in the heavenly places. It had already been there. It had already existed. And so Moses makes a shadow, a, 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 as best as he could, a kind of a cheap copy of what was already there. And we, we, we think about, oh no, that was just in, on the earth. No, it was a copy of what was already in heaven. The Old Testament tabernacle were copies and shadows. Notice those two words in verse 5a. It says, they serve this earthly tabernacle that they made, this holy poise. It serves as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. They were just symbols and pointers to a very, very real heavenly reality. When God gave Moses a pattern for the priestly sacrificial system, he just didn't just make it up on the spot for the Jewish people. He patterned it after a glorious reality that was in heaven. So we get a glimpse into God and his ways when we ponder the priesthood of Israel. So as we look at what God did, that, that's why it makes the Old Testament so significant. We look at what he did and how he set it up. It wasn't just something, I'm going to make up something to help these people. He brought a copy of what was already in the heavenly places, which is really what we saw in Revelation 4 and 5, wasn't it? It was the Holy of Holies that was without bounds. It had no walls up in it anymore. And all the things that were taking place was going on there. The point of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ, God's Son, has not just come to fit into an earthly system of priestly ministry as the best and final human priest, but rather he has come to fulfill and to put an end to that system, and to orient now all of our attention on himself, who is now ministering in that perfect place in heaven on our behalf. The Old Testament tabernacle and priests and sacrifices were shadows. And the reality has come, the shadows passed away, and Jesus was, in all eternity past, and still is our high priest today. He's opened the way. So, the dying for us and acting on our behalf and making himself a sacrifice for us to open the way of salvation. That's the priestly part we're familiar with, isn't it? We talk about that a lot. Our table represents it every week. We, we gather around it and celebrate it, but that's only half the work of Jesus, our high priest, only half the work. His high priestly duties did not end there when he made sacrifice for sin, but they continue today in our worship. As high priest forever, Jesus has opened the way for his people to participate in the worship of heaven with the barriers gone and the door open and the invitation to draw near given. And I would suggest that um, he acts on that behalf so that what we've been looking at can be a reality today. As a matter of fact, it is a reality. We just don't pay attention to it or maybe didn't recognize what was going on because we just see we just see what we see, don't we? And we miss the realities of what happens in the heavenly places. The door is open. The invitation to draw near is given. It is an actual reality of Jesus acting as our high priest, drawing us into worship today. So the question still comes, how do we enter as we sit here listening 
and reading and singing and maybe being distracted or whatever goes on with us on, on a gathering time. It's, we're all over the place, right? How do we draw near? We can turn to Hebrews 2.12. I'm just going to stick with this verse here as we try to pull this together. Hebrews 2.12, it's actually taken from the Messianic Psalm of, of, of uh, Psalm 22, which, in- interesting enough, it is a psalm, as you read it, it's a psalm given to the congregation of people gathered. It's a Messianic Psalm about Jesus given to gathered people. Hebrews, I believe, is a, is a book, like a worship book given for gathered people. And so I believe the things we're looking at is for us as we're gathered. And he says this, And from Psalm 22, we know this is Jesus speaking. He says, I will tell of your name, that's the Father's name, to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. The high priestly ministry of Jesus was, um, was not completed when he finished his once-for-all sacrifice for sins. Hebrews 4, chapter 4, and chapter 10, um, they both say that we have, present tense, a high priest who acts on our behalf in heaven. As I said, we've, oft, we've often heard about his continuing work as our advocate to make intercession for us, and he does that. Um, all true, but I believe it goes further than that. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's one mediator between God and man, and as the man Christ Jesus that had it happen to mediate us for salvation. But that mediatorial work continues today for us because I still need a high priest to walk with me and take me to that place of worship. Remember, we talked about revelation and response. God reveals, we respond. Truth is, I can't even respond right if the Holy Spirit doesn't do it. That's the, that's the truth. I can't really offer up worship if the Holy Spirit doesn't do it. So in many ways, if we get in touch with it, God does the whole thing. We just get carried along with it, with him, which is a good thing for us. Revelation, Jesus mediates God's revelation to us. Primarily, not exclusively, but primarily today it's done through his word, through the reading of it, the proclamation of it, the meditation on his word, um, which is why we say he's, of all our preachers, he is the only reliable t- preacher that we have, that we can always trust. And then there's response. Jesus comes before the Father on our behalf. He is our means as high priest of our response. I don't have the time to really look into the background of all this, but this um, Hebrews 2.12, taken from this Messianic Psalm 22, if you look at the rest of of, uh, Psalm 22, and then you look at the way the Hebrew writer, the writer of Hebrews takes it, and the way he uses it, It lists forth for us what I believe is this twofold mediatorial work of our high priest. And the twofold is what? Revelation and response. And I believe that Jesus, our high priest, acts on both behalfs. That's why I want to look at this briefly. As the one who reveals and as the one who actually participates in our response, which is what brings us into the heavenly places. So the first phrase here, it says, I, that's Jesus, will tell of your name to my brothers. This is, this is Jesus doing what? Revealing the truth of God. I will tell of your name. Remember we talked about when Jesus speaks the name of the Father, he is, he is revealing and uncovering 
in opening up the truth of God's character and his nature and his plans and his purposes. So in that little phrase, I'll tell of your name, basically Jesus saying, I will tell you everything. I, I am the source who will reveal you, the Father. So as before, we, we, we knew God in these, all these different ways, through the prophets in, in different places, but in these days, we know him through his Son. And so as our high priest, Jesus reveals the truth and the character and the nature of the Father. We can know God because he has chosen to reveal himself, and he reveals himself primarily through his Son, who's our high priest, who says, I'm just going to keep telling you the Father's name. I'm going to tell you all about him. I'm going to tell you what he's like, what he does, and how he moves, and how he acts for those of us who would listen. And I believe he continues to do that today. And then the second half of that same passage says, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Now, you can take that two ways. The first one was, I will tell of your name, this is up in the heavens, to my brothers. It's, it's a God-human God word movement, right? From God to us. That's revelation. We could take the second half in the same thing. In the midst of the congregation, I'm singing your praise. I'm telling them your praise. But as I said, if you really look at the passage, and I'd be happy to pass some stuff along to you, I believe that the second half is, is, is a complementary, but it moves in the opposite direction. So the, the high priest, Jesus, reveals the Father to us, revelation. It comes from heaven down to us. And then from here, in the midst of the congregation, Jesus, who's among us as our high priest, lifts up our praise to heaven. Response. Revelation coming down. Response is God, through Jesus, raises it up. The key role of the high priest is to lead the people in worship. Um, he's, he's our lead worshiper. It takes all the pressure off this group up here, you know? Because, seriously, it doesn't. We, we, we bring our best. We, we work at it. We do those things. But even in our best, can, can I stand in Revelation 4 and 5 and just let it out? The truth is I can. We're going to see. Because Jesus, our high priest, gathers up all of what we do, and he presents it into heaven before God. I love it. Jesus stands with us because as our high priest and as a man, and he sings with us. And I don't get all that, but that's what he does. I know some people, everybody says, I don't really like to sing, but Jesus sings. He wants us to sing with him. Jesus reveals the true God to us and then leads our response back. He actually participates in our response of praise. In, in other places, it indicates it actually perfects all of our praise. So that when it's brought before and brought into the Trinity, it's just wondrous. As high priest, one like us, he gathers up our worship, imperfect as it is, sometimes given half-heartedly, sometimes given from disconnected hearts and souls. He gathers it all up. And through him it is perfected and brought before the triune God. He takes it, and this is, where, this is where it's like, what? He takes it and brings it into, within, the triune community. Where Revelation 4 and 5 and Isaiah 6, all that stuff is happening. And he brings it there. I don't see it. Word tells me that that's what happens. This is part of the... the the mystery of the incarnation, that Jesus, who as God, deserves what? All of our praise, all of our adoration, all of our bowed knees. 
he should also, as high priest, be a worshiper. We often don't think that Jesus worships because they think, well, how can he worship? He's God. It says that the Father glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. And as our high priest, he leads us in worship, and it brings it right within that triune God. I love it. Jesus sings with us to the Father. And so, in reality, even though we're all sitting here, right? In reality, in the, in the true reality, Tozer talks about the fact that he says, we often talk about the spiritual things. They're not really the real reality. The reality is I can feel this thing. It's just as real as, as, as touching this. And it is eternal. And we are effectively brought into those heavenly places of worship. Because we are in Christ, his worship is our worship. try to give a a picture of it when we came in this morning and i believe it happens through all of our worship during the week when we offer up all of our work during the week jesus is gathering all that up too all the works of our hands and bringing it before the father and perfecting going this is awesome when when we come together and we are worshiping reading the word we're meditating we're we're hearing it we're singing um i believe this is telling us that Jesus actually gathers it up and he takes it up into the heavenly places. So if John were here this morning and suddenly he kind of drifted off and had a vision, he's, he's over in the corner here. John's having a vision. He's had this vision of the heavens and, and he's in chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation and he's singing all these things going on and the people crying out holy. Guess what he would see there this morning? He would see us and our worship being offered before God. We would be part of that. That's what it's telling us. No, it doesn't feel like it. We don't see it. That's the truth of Scripture. That's what's taking place in our midst. We pay attention to it. Thomas Torrance says this, The church on earth lives and acts only as directed by the Heavenly Lord in only such a way that his ministry is reflected in the midst of its ministering worship. Therefore, from first to last, The worship and ministry of the church on earth must be governed by the fact that Christ substitutes himself in our place and that our humanity with its own acts of worship is displaced by his. That we appear before God not in our own name, not in our own significance, not in virtue of our own acts of confession or contrition or worship or thanksgiving, but solely in the name of Christ and solely in virtue of what he has done in our name in our behalf, and in our stead. Interesting, if you note Hebrews uh, chapter 8, verse 2, he says, We have a great high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy place. Is that the word for minister is there? It's liturgian. It's the word we get liturgy from. And it means to serve or to offer up worship. That's really what it is. And so uh, Romans 12, it says what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to um, offer up our spiritual service of worship, Right? That's, that's, we're supposed to do it. We come here to do that. It's the same word. It's the word we get for liturgy. Offer up our liturgy, our service of worship. And Jesus does the same thing as a minister, as a, as a, a worship leader in our midst. He sits at the right hand of God in the true holy of holies. Says he's a minister in that holy place. Our offering, our worship, it's just a participation in the worship that Jesus, our high priest, is offering up perfectly 
all the time, in the very presence of the triune God. So how can I enter that place within the eternal, ongoing worship within and around the Trinity that we read about in all those great passages? Because Jesus, our high priest, once for all made a way, and now he is continually in that place with me because the scriptures say that I reside in Christ. And it's not like he takes off and goes, does something else, and comes back. I, I, I dwell in him. That's what he's made me. He's hidden us in God. He offers up my imperfect worship. He gathers it up, and, and, and in giving it, he perfects it to the Father, who is always pleased with what his Son offers. Uh, Ron Mann states this, The real agent of all true worship is Jesus Christ. Whatever else worship is, it is our liturgical amen to the worship of Christ. He's not an observer. He's the leader of our worship as he leads it right before the very throne of God. As I said, the implication of what we just look at is our worship, the worship we have offered this morning, and we're going to continue to offer up, the worship that we offer as we leave and just participate in the things God calls us to was and is mediated by Jesus before the Father right now. It was brought into already in glorious display through our high priest today and in that place. All of our offering and everyday worships are taken up by Jesus and perfectly offered before the Father um, through all the moments of our day. And so the, the hard-to-grasp truth is that all of, we have already been gathered up in that place. Our worship has already been gathered up that place. Our worship is already being displayed in that place. A couple things in summary. Chris Tilling says this, and I'd like to read this. It's, people say things better than I do. When our worship feels dry and our hearts are distracted, when we feel that our worship isn't passionate enough, like, I should get it better, right? I'd be more in heaven if I could just get it better, right? I think that way. Or that our faith is not profound enough. Right at that point, we need to remember that Jesus is our high priest. We do not offer our own worship to God apart from the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. God does not sniff at our puny attempts to sing from our hearts. He beholds the perfect high priestly ministry of Jesus with great delight, a ministry which encompasses all of our imperfect response to God. Gladly, we need not, indeed should not, take ourselves so seriously. Our fragile worship, sometimes passionate, often stale, is subsumed by and included in and ultimately offered by Jesus Christ himself. To grasp all this is to rest in the glorious truth that as God the Son himself, Jesus, is the one mediator between God and humankind, that is to say that we are not our own mediators in worship, prayer, or anything else. Understanding that it is all about Jesus Christ and that this Jesus is the great high priest, once again reminds us that worship is centered on Christ in ways that should profoundly change us. Asking for the presence of the Spirit, we can launch into worship whatever we may feel emotionally, confident that what really matters is that we give a perfect human yes to God, which comes namely through Jesus himself, in whom is all of our hope in life. It is to see worship not as a task we do, but as a gift of Jesus Christ in which he comes alongside us and says, come with me. 
as I do that. One closing kind of application for that. Um, you know, there's a, a church coming in after us today, the Spanish church, and there'll be about 12 people here. Um, guess what they're doing? They're caught up in that place. Their worship is taken and, 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 and exploded and brought before the throne. And John Rupter, he'd be going, wow, I see them. Ours is that. People all over this world as they gather and worship, and it's, it's this truth that actually takes our worship and makes this incredible, but it goes way past that. It's part of God's unifying way to transform everything. Our worship becomes more than just about me. It, comes, it becomes more than just about our assembly and our church. It's more than that. One author says this way, Christ fulfills a two-directional ministry as our mediator. He mediates a relationship up to, to God, from God to man. He mediates all of our worship to God, man up to God. This twofold mediating work of Christ is inseparable. And he goes on to say this, God is worshipped around the globe. We could say around this city and around the globe as a result of the all-sufficient work of the resurrected Christ. In this way, Jesus is the perfect worshiper of the Father. And from heaven, he fulfills the role of chief worship leader of the global church, all people, which is why the scene in heaven was so incredible. Remember it says, Myriads upon myriads upon myriads. It wasn't just angels. I think it's us. It's part of that throng that was there. Behind the corporate worship in our local church and behind the global worship of the nations is our one mediator, our brother, the perfect worshiper, our perfect worship leader. And we are united to Christ, and in him all of our worship is united together into one global choir to the praise of the Father. By the way, with all different languages and all different styles of worship, and different songs, and stuff that we don't get, but God is delighting in. He brings it all together. So that's all up here, right? Okay. So what does that do? I'm still sitting here, okay? Um, ask God to begin to work it into our hearts. The great truth that Jesus comes alongside us as our worship leader and sings with us and brings it before God. Val, if you could bring the, uh, the worship team up. I want you to just consider the, the wonder of what he has done and to consider the wonder of what is happening, I believe, in this very moment amongst us. That there is something happening in heaven at this moment because of what is happening amongst us. Our very worship before the Father its being presented perfectly at this moment within the community of the triune God. So what I want to do, I'm going to say a short prayer, and then I'd like it just to be quiet for one minute. Um, offer up prayers quietly, just to yourself. And it may be a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of praise, maybe just going, gosh, he's right there. I've got something I need to ask him to do for me. Bring up your petitions for him. So just silently do that, then I'll close us, and we will introduce communion. So pray. Christ Jesus, you are the great high priest. You've gone before us. You've opened up a way for us to follow. <clears throat> and because you are our high priest, we're able to enter into the very presence of the Father right now. So thank you for coming to earth, experiencing temptation, for suffering far more than we experience that you could intercede for us. So we ask you, our faithful high priest, to intercede for us now as we bring 
our requests before your throne of grace.